I could easily tell you lots of stories about slavery. We have, we have safe houses um, in India. In fact, Marlene made a tour of some of the safe houses there. Those are the rescue houses where we get some of the women, particularly, that have been uh, human trafficked. There are about 54 million uh, slaves in the world uh, right now, at this moment. About 15 million of them, so about you know, a little less than 25% of them, are actually in India, and we have a lot of recovery systems there. There's a whole lot of moving parts to freeing slaves. Um, there are a lot of well-intentioned groups that are trying to, to do things, to, to do uh, liberation issues, but uh, if you don't know what you're doing, or if you don't do it well, you exacerbate the problem. I'll give you an example. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a church or there's a group in uh, independent church that decided they were a network of people. They were going to build an orphanage and take all of these these kids off the streets because the kids on the streets are very susceptible to slavery. And so they went to Haiti and they built an orphanage, and they started a school. They brought a lot of people in for the school, etc. And they built the thing big enough for about 140 children. They had 140 children in this small rural community, and they thought they were doing a whole lot to end human trafficking. The people of the village came to our folks, uh, Linda Adams, the director of ICCM, International Child Care Ministries, and uh, Steve um, Fitch, the, uh, the, the leader of Eden Reforestation Projects, two groups that work actively in the, anti, in the abolition movement. And they came to them and they quietly said, if there's any way we can get you folks in here and get rid of that orphanage. And he said, why is that? And he said, it's a breeding ground. We have more slaves and girls that have been trafficked because that, that thing has come to town than we ever had before. And, uh, and you see what was happening is with all these children, they processed them up through a certain age, and then the kids are orphans. They have no place to go. So when they're finished with the age of being able to work in the, or be in the orphanage, they go out in the streets, and more human trafficking people have come into that town, that village, to grab these girls and grab these boys and put them into indentured servanthood or sex slavery and trafficking. They said uh, the trouble with slavery has increased threefold since that orphanage has come to town. Now, well-intentioned people, Christian people, going in not knowing that there's five, there are five parts to dealing with human trafficking. One is a justice issue. You have to find the people. Otherwise, it's just an endless stream of folks that are going to come in the door. So what do you do on the justice side? Who brings the people to them? Did you know 87% of all girls that are trafficked in human trafficking are sold from their parents? Their parents are in desperate ways, and if all you do is release them back to their families, guess what happens? Either their families get killed because they realize they know where they're from, and, and they go back and they find them and they kill them, or they re-traffic them. They sell them again, and they get double, double money for the for the girls or the, or the kids in there. It's, so you have to deal with the issue then of creating community, a new community uh, with whom the people can be bound, not sending them home, but sending them to safe places, creating new environments. And guess what the church is? The church is family, right? And if you can actually do evangelism, share Christ with them, bring them to a relationship with Christ, they have a new set of brothers and sisters, people that will actually care for them and, and work with them in that way. So you deal with that. You deal with family of origin issues as well as the spiritual reintegration. You do livelihood training so they don't, they're not broke and go back out and sell themselves or, or create environments where there's a huge vacuum. And then you place them in... Uh, community, or you deploy them in ways in which they can start being uh, not only be safe, but they can reintegrate into society using their gifts and skills and abilities. And you continue to pro- protect them through not only community, 
but also ongoing resourcing for the people that have gone into that. There are five steps to really dealing with health in a healthy way. And I can tell you story after story of groups that have come in to try and help the issue of human trafficking. I just gave you one. You want another one? Thank you. Uh, one of you wants another one. Um, people go in and drink drill wells. They say, you know, the number one reason for death in the world has something to do with uh, unclear drinking water, unclean drinking water. I, I was in a place in Ethiopia called Alamtena, and people were walking nine miles, ten miles. The women would walk with the big uh, jars on their head, and they were getting water that there is no way you would even want to wash your clothes in. You couldn't see an inch and a half into that, and that was their drinking water, that was their bathing water, and it was a big waller. Uh, you know, mud hole for the cattle, etc. That was the closest water they get. Uh, you know, we came in, drilled uh, clean drinking water, etc. Praise the Lord, and, and it's there. You know what happens if you don't know how to do that? Guess what happens to that well? Who takes over? The bad people in town, usually the people with power and the people with money, and they didn't get the power and they didn't get the money, and they can actually traffic people they can actually put people in indentured servitude to be able to have access to water. And so a group comes in, a nice Christian group, drills a well, and they think they've filled, fixed the problem. They've made it a whole lot easier for people to uh, abuse those folks. And so we write contracts. We bring in the, the government involved in it. We make sure that there's security with it. We usually tie it together with the church. And the pastor's not in charge of it. The church is in charge of the water. We do a lot of things to ensure that the water is not going to be abused, and it's not going to be used as a, as a tool for manipulation either. It's going to be something that's going to be open to the entire community. And then you also have to deal with issues of keeping the well up and running for a long period of time because the average well that's drilled lasts for two years. That's, that's all the longer that the pumps will last or that you know, uh, they're not attended to appropriately, etc. And so we provide that. There are seven steps to dealing with making water a good commodity rather than a bad one. Are you with me? Yeah, thank you. There's three of you are with me now. So two of you wanted a further story. The rest of you guys are thinking what you're going to have for lunch. Uh, let me take just... Uh, um, out of Scripture, an idea for you or a motif. Slavery is not new to us now. You see it all the way through Scripture, right? God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, and what was the big appeal? He said, you know, I've heard the cries of my people, the people in Egypt. And for 400 years, these people had been enslaved from just shortly after the time of Joseph. And, uh, and basically, the command to Moses is to go grab those people, bring them out. We like to focus on the fact that they're going to a land flowing with milk and honey. And we like to talk about the, the sea parting and the pillar of cloud by, by uh, day and the pillar of fire by night uh, resting over the tabernacle. And we like to talk about manna that came in and, or that manna that uh, was, was there every day and the quail that flew in to be able to provide meat. And we like to see some of the marvelous miracles. We forget that this was a redemptive story of people that had been in bondage, that had been in slavery. And you've got story after story of that. And he became a deliverer that brought the people out into the land because the Lord heard that and it had, in a sense, cut him to the heart. We, uh, we see that uh, type of emotive language comes out in the book of Numbers. Um, and on and on it goes through the pages of Scripture. There are people that are enslaved. And, uh, and the Lord is in the business of bringing people redemptively out of slavery. He does it over and over again. Um, and then you end up with Jesus showing up. And when Jesus can finally quote something 
uh, that's biblical, when he just gets launched in his ministry, it's just shortly after he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, he shows up in his hometown, he's in Nazareth, and he's in the synagogue, and they hand him a scroll, and he opens up the scroll to Isaiah 61, and he said, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim, and he goes on and says, to proclaim the good news to the poor, and then it's interesting, he follows that, he says, to proclaim release to the prisoners and to those who are captive. And then he talks about proclaiming the Lord's favor upon people. And he rolls it up and he said, today in your hearing, this is fulfilled. And it says the people were delighted. Uh, It's not until later in this story that uh, he kind of talks to them about issues in their own life and they want to throw them off the edge of the cliff. And there's the kicker is Jesus came to kind of set people free. And he came to set people free in two ways. And one was everybody's good with Jesus setting people free from physical bondage and slavery. In fact, I could tell you stories that would make you cry and would make your skin crawl and have haunted me as I see uh, stories of oppression and and slavery around the world. But i got to tell you, um, Jesus was speaking. There was a double entendre there when he was talking about releasing people from captivity. There you are, Elena. Um, he wasn't just talking about people that were thrown into prison. He was talking about a different kind of bondage as well, the bondage of sin. The Apostle Paul picked up on it in Romans chapter 6. He says over and over again something about, you're no longer slaves to sin if Christ has set you free. Therefore, submit the members of your body as slaves to righteousness so that you might live for the Spirit and not for the flesh. He goes on and recounts that theme in Romans chapter 7 and, uh, and ends up telling people, he says, you know, there's, there's this bondage that we rest in that we're so clouded by that uh, the good things we want to do we can't do and the bad things that we want to be released from doing we find ourselves doing repeatedly. Have you ever read that passage? Okay, seven of you have read your Bible. That's great. Uh, you know, you ought to try it. It's really good. Don't, don't be discouraged because the bishop doesn't take a physical Bible with him. I do read it every day, lots. Um, the whole issue that the Apostle Paul is picking up from what Jesus is, there's another kind of a slavery, an enslavement that's a really such a, an, a crippling one. And here's the kicker, folks. 54 million people is a little piece in the bucket compared to the 7 billion people that are slaves in a different way, that are slaves to sin, that have tried to get over the bitterness, that have tried to muscle their way through uh, the lack of peace in their life, that have tried to figure out some way to concoct or create a sense of sustaining joy and contentment in their life. People that have tried to get off of alcohol or some kind of substance, that have tried to to change their attitude, that have tried to get off an addiction to pornography or a, or a bad uh, repetitive cycle of relationships that just don't seem to go away or whatever, fill in the blank. And Jesus says, I came to set people free. And he wasn't just talking about people enslaved in a, in a jail somewhere. And... Um, and Paul says it a little bit differently in Galatians chapter 5. Do you have that one up there? Galatians 5.1. Read it with me. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stop! There's only about 20 of you reading. I want everybody to read. We've got a lot of literate people in here. You are literate. I know that. So read with me. 
It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Here's the deal. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. What does that tell us? When people say, yeah, but what does Jesus want out of it? What's his motive? Why, why does he want to do something with me? Ah, he wants to set me free, so I'll, so I'll go to a church and so I'll tithe. No. Uh, he wants my soul, so, you know, it's a power thing. That it, no, no, no. He, but the Apostle Paul makes it very clear here. Here's the motive of Jesus. He wants you to be free because he wants you to be free. It's not a selfish motive. It's not anything to manipulate or control. There's nothing in there for your harm or to devise something. But, but this is it. Jesus wants to set us free. And everybody that I've ever heard quote this verse only quote the first half of it. They only quote it's for freedom that set us free, and they talk about the motive of Christ. But the potential of people all the time is to yoke themselves under a bondage of slavery. I mean, that's what people do. That's what we do best. The fallen nature of humanity is to, and we, we cry when we see people that have been enslaved by somebody else and, you know, these girls that have been in brothels and they've been forced to have sex with 30, 40 men a day and they do this for years and they start as early as 12, 11, 12, 13 years old. I met them. So has Marlene. Um, and we think about how horrible that is. Could you imagine one of those girls getting out of that kind of environment and just saying, you know, and, and coming to a church and being cared for by a wonderful family and, you know, having, having soup in the morning and being able to, to, to sit out on the veranda and read the Bible and talk with people that, that love her and say, you know what, it was a whole lot better doing the other thing. I think I'm going to go back over there. But there are girls that do it. And believe it or not, there are a lot of Christians that do that. The Lord sets them free, and he does it with the purest of motives, and then people get bound up, and they put themselves in bondage all over again. And here's the, here's the kicker. Bound up people, then, cannot see to help people that are bound up in other ways. Have you ever seen somebody that's so self-consumed with their own stuff, they can't see anybody else's stuff? They can't reach across the boundary? They can't, they can't help anybody else because all they're trying to do is in their own mess, their own slew of junk wallowing in their own vomit. They cannot see in a way to help anybody else, and so they never reach out. So you might be saying, well, what on earth is Bishop Thomas talking about spiritual slavery for when this is Freedom Sunday? And here, here's the point. And if, you, if you've got a pen or if you want to make a mental note, that's fine. The word free can be an adjective, and the word free can be a verb, and I'm going to use them both in one sentence. I'm going to say this, free people, free people. The only people who have a sustaining ability to provide any kind of access to others or even be concerned about the people who are in bondage, the 54 million people that are enslaved by somebody else, the only people I've ever seen have an ongoing sustaining witness to people that are in bondage are those people who have been set free. And so they're no longer focused on their own junk and their own well is overflowing with love and compassion. And their yearning for justice will not be satisfied uh, by just, you know, waving a hand and saying, I hope things are better. Real free people uh, do whatever they do in their endeavors to free people. And so I watch uh, the Set Free Movement. If you, if you want to participate on an ongoing basis, we're going to take an offering here in about three minutes, four minutes. But... 
uh, special offering, and I hope you give to it. We are. Um, I really hope you give to it. And we're raising money around the, the world to do stuff. And we're doing stuff in orphanages. We're doing stuff on all five of those levels that we're talking about. We're bringing justice where justice is needed to stop the, the incursion of this stuff. All the way to uh, skills training, development tools, uh, to redeployment into communities, to reintegrating, to assisting churches that are doing it so they can create safe uh, community environments for people that are caught in slaves. Your money is going to go to all those things, and that's a wonderful thing. But I guarantee you... That if you're bound up too much with your own stuff, you might write a check today and you'll forget about it tomorrow. And we want to thank you for the check today. What I'm hoping is that you are so free in Christ that you can see slavery in other areas and other people. And you can say, I want to do something about this in a long-term way. So my hope and my prayer is that we are liberated by Jesus Christ in such a profound way that we're no longer slaves to sin, but as Paul says, we become slaves to righteousness. What does that mean? We've sold ourselves out to the Lord, and we're here to live for him and to serve him in every possible way we can. I do want to say thank you. This is a generous church. This has been a gracious church for an awful long time. I brag on you folks. Did you know that? I I tell people where I'm from. Uh, by the way, I wouldn't be a bishop in this role if it weren't for this church. Did you know that? A lot of you don't know that. I actually was asked to speak for the guy who was the pastor here a long time ago. Um, his name was Glenn Moore, and he, he got strep throat one Sunday morning. Actually, he called me late at night, and he said, could you, uh, could you speak, share your testimony, do something? And I was going to school here, and I was, gonna, I was studying other stuff. I'd gone to Bible college for a year. That was my whopping educational training in the area of theology. And, uh, and I got up and I spoke in this pulpit. And uh, I had about eight or nine people come up after that service and said, have you ever considered going into pastoral ministry? And Marlene and I prayed. And the Lord launched us on a ministry. And we've been missionaries, educators, been pastors, church planters. And... Uh, and now uh, we've been superintendents three different times and in two different countries, and now I'm in this particular role. And a lot of that comes from you, and I want to say thank you for, in a sense, representing the body of Christ and, uh, and serving us in a way, and I, I want us to, to do this together. But I would ask you, as I, as I get ready to pray, let's pray that we are free people so we have the capacity to, in a sustaining way, help other people with their bondage, whether it's physical or spiritual that we can help people and bring people out of darkness and into this marvelous light. Um, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, thank you so much this morning for your goodness to us. Lord, we read this verse. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And we are so thankful that you simply want your people to be free. You want your people to be um, serving you and living for you. And uh, it's an honor and a privilege that we have uh, to live for you and to serve you in this way. Uh, Lord, I pray that there's any, if there's anyone here right now that's caught, caught in the trap of sin, self-deception, this perpetual downward spiral of doing things I can't seem to get free from, or the inability to live uh, the life that uh, really, really is deeply desired in a very good way. I pray, God, that you would just uh, break the chains and by your Holy Spirit uh, set us free. Deliver us in such a way that 
that with this freedom, we're able to look around and see other people in bondage, physical, spiritual, whatever, Lord, and do something about it. Uh, reach across an island, reach across an ocean, reach across uh, um, you know, the, the street and to help people in significant ways. Lord, we realize that it's really only by your spirit that we can do this. So, Lord, we understand that free people, free people. So I pray, Lord, that you'd set us free and thereby impact people for your kingdom. We give you thanks and praise for your wonderful working in our lives personally. And we pray, Lord, that you would take the humble gift that we give today in this offering and do something marvelous and magnificent for the building up of your kingdom, for the deliverance of some of these people in Haiti and India and Thailand and and, uh, Armenia and uh, different places around the the world where, uh, where we know slavery is such a huge thing. Lord, help our folks that are just dealing, just slugging it out and even dealing with threats on a daily basis in Budapest, uh, Hungary. Lord, I pray that you would help the the folks in Central America down in Guatemala who've, who've uh, just had the drug people come and take their kids and, and put them into forced labor. Lord, these are our own folks. These are free Methodists that we know. And God, I pray that you would use us and use these offerings in some small way to be a blessing, to be an encouragement, and to be a real help. And then use us in an ongoing way to be able to bring spiritual health and healing and physical restoration to others. We give you thanks. We commit this offering into your keeping. In Jesus' name, amen.